Welcome to Masters of Employee Development, Mike Acker's podcast devoted to training team members in any type of organization. As a best-selling author, corporate trainer, and business leader, I seek out guests each week to discuss training successes, challenges, and best practices. On this show, you will hear from incredible CEOs, HR directors, and other experienced managers responsible for leadership and development. Lean in, listen, and take part in a community dedicated to improving life through increasing leadership. Tanya, welcome to the program. Thank you so so much for joining me this week. Great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's dive in first before we really jump into employee development and what it looks like to really develop team members. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Absolutely. So I work for an organization, a Canadian-based organization called Canadian Management Center. It's actually a global affiliate of the American Management Association, which is headquartered in New York City. And my role is, well, my title, I absolutely love my title, Senior Practice Leader, and I love it because nobody really knows what it is. So I get to invent it or reinvent it on the fly um, as I go. And I'm pretty sure to this day, my parents still really don't know what I do. Um, But as the uh, Senior Practice Leader, my job is to oversee a portfolio of leadership management courses and to really just make sure that they reflect best practices in the area of leadership development, that they're aligning with what our clients are needing. Um, And then sort of under that umbrella, I'm also responsible for thought leadership. So we do a lot of thought leadership events lately, very much online, but we used to do them in person um, on all things leadership. So that's what I get to do every day. Okay. When you say thought leadership, what do you mean by that? Because there's a couple of different ways that people might perceive that topic. Yeah, so really taking a look at, um, you know, what's trending and how we can be of service. So during the pandemic, our version of thought leadership actually became really more about servant leadership and people were really floundering and we were, you know, what can we do to support people? So, you know, I did a series of what we called reality check conversations. These were short videos to help people have tips and tools for pivoting into this crazy virtual environment that we've gotten thrown into. But COVID aside, um, you know, we take a look at what organizations are struggling with and how we can align what we do to be of service right now, for example, um, in partnership with the AMA, American Management Association, we're launching a global survey on innovation. So one of the things coming out of the pandemic is I mean, innovation has always been important, but the way that we're defining innovation and how every employee needs to see their role and connection to helping organizations continue to pivot and reinvent themselves in this sort of perpetually uncertain world that we're living through. So we've got this survey going out and then we'll use that data to share, you know, new insights, to build off of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff out there, right? By all the big names, the, the Deloitte's and the McKinsey's and everything. But we take a slice of that and we we tailor it to our audience, which is mainly new, new managers up to sort of mid-level managers. We do play a little bit in the executive space, but not as much. So um, yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. And when you're working with these new managers or these established managers, what is it? of all the different things that you put together 
whether it's something that's trending right now in thought leadership or something that you just know is tried and true, what are some things that you find out people saying, this is what helped me and my team? Well, um, at an individual level or at a group level? <laughs> I'm thinking of- <laughs> well, that's a great answer for both, right? So let's do both. Let's do group and individual. What are people saying? This is helping me develop my team. This is hitting really close to home. And then what is it? People saying this had to be really close personally. Yeah. So I think, so right now, the hottest thing, the, the thing we're getting asked for time and time again is any support around managing in the hybrid environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when the pandemic hit, I remember doing some, some sessions, some workshops, some webinars, and managers saying things like, I did not sign up to be a therapist when I became a manager and really not having any idea on how to, how to navigate that. Um, you know, when I used to only be talking about results, now I'm trying to help somebody navigate their lack of childcare and, uh, you know, no boundaries between work and home and feeling burnt out. And I'm not equipped for this. So at the beginning, there was a lot um, under the hybrid umbrella or remote umbrella about walking the line between management and helping people through the mental health crisis that was going on. Now that, you know, there's still vestiges of that and people are still burnt out, but I think now it's about how do we remain um, connected and productive. So there's still that balance um, between, you know, managing the results and managing the person and the expectations have really changed. So pre-COVID, if I went to my boss and said, you know, I'm having issues with my, you know, childcare arrangement or something, I'm pretty sure the expectation would be like, figure it out, right? Like that's yeah. your job to figure it out. But now people are expecting uh, greater flexibility, um, all kinds of accommodations and um, organizations are really struggling on how to figure that out. But beyond that, and I'm sure you, you know a lot about this in the training that you do. Um, it's about establishing new norms. You know, when we look at how teams form, the old model was storming, norming, forming. And now we've got to put norming at the beginning because, um, you know, how we communicate, when we communicate, how we recognize people uh, when we've got some folks that are fully remote, some people are hybrid, some people are in the office. How do we make sure that that's fair, that's inclusive? So And then don't even get me started on meetings. That's a whole other thing, right? Like meetings, many meetings sucked even before COVID. But right now I think our our patients, and maybe I'm projecting my own personal opinion here, but my patients and threshold for meetings that waste my time, like I don't have any patience for that. Um, (laughs) I mentioned Carter Malloy that I interviewed on this program at the beginning and how he says people who come in, if if they think that the... If the meeting isn't relevant, they could just say, I'm done with this meeting. I don't have to go anymore. I thought that was a really interesting way. But you're right. There's a lot of wasted, wasted meetings. You touched on a whole bunch there. So let me actually go back here for just a moment, Tanya. Uh, but when I get excited, I talk fast and it's like, ah. Well, you just said so much good stuff. And I want to dive in a little bit more on these. That management and health crisis, the, the hybrid environment, what principles, what what are you telling people? What should people know about what to do? A lot of people are still in that. And one of the, the companies that I've been working with, they are spread out all across the United States. 
and before they were all close together in little hubs and now they're all over the place and they're trying to figure things out so what are you telling them what's helping the people in these environments well i think so the first thing is we do not advise managers to play the role of therapist so part of it is um, identifying <clears throat> the signs that this person may need um, additional support beyond what you can provide as a manager. So there's been a lot done in organizations in terms of wellness sessions, reminding people about their, you know, their EAP or any other internal services. If what they're demonstrating in their struggle is beyond simply um, managing their workday. So I think that's the first thing you don't want to overstep um, those boundaries. Um, but beyond that, I think it's really helping managers take a look at the nature of the conversations that they're having with employees. So I'll give a specific example. Um, early on in the pandemic for, um, you know, I was trying to homeschool my daughter. I had a lot of things going on. And the conversation I had with my manager, she, she asked me a really important question. She said, you know, how are you evaluating success? And I realized that my standard of success needed to reflect my current environment. I was holding myself to the same expectations I was with a lot less resources and a lot less time and a lot less focus. Um, so I think it's important to, to define what success looks like in whatever is going on to, to have that be something that's um, not static. Um, I also think that uh, what's the saying? Um, Oh, shoot, it's escaping me. But you know, it's something about when people know you care. I mean, it's all about care. Yeah. People and, don't care what you know, until they know how much you care. That's the one yeah. I was thinking about. Um, and some leaders that might be a little ishy squishy, you know, um, but you can you can demonstrate care in different ways. And I think, you know, when you look at one on one conversations, what are the nature of those? Are you only focused on work? Are you asking people questions? that help them identify what's going to help them be, bring their best selves to work. So I've learned about myself through the pandemic. I mean, I was remote before the pandemic, but I did have some face-to-face -face time. I've learned what feeds me. I've learned what, you know, feeds me in terms of my spirit and my energy. I've learned what time of day I'm best to work. I've, we've negotiated permission space where I can be offline and, and focused and not expected to be, um, responding instantly to messages. So it's really about having deeper and more meaningful conversations about what really holistically enables people to be at their best. And I think that's one of the, the big shifts in those, you know, a, a sort of a radical transformation of where we've been with performance management, um, continuous dialogue and dialogue with more meaningful questions. If I sometimes I think in terms of graphs or and just laying this out in a linear way, and what I'm thinking about is here you start with show you care, but then set the boundaries. So I care for you, or I'm really there for you, but then the boundaries because if I show that I care to somebody, they might unload and I'm not equipped for that. Yeah. And then show the care, but then there's the boundaries, and here's the signs that you need more, and then take care of yourselves, and then the new way of success. So it's very different in some ways than a lot of people have thought about, because instead of starting out with success over here and then maybe just even staying there or maybe progressing to care, you're actually starting out with, look, I care, but we got some boundaries. 
take care of yourself. And I love what you're saying about the, the new ways of success. Are you seeing people take to that? Like they are in the training and then they walk away saying, oh, yeah, we're not doing this very well. We're not measuring success. We haven't changed. Or are you seeing people, what is people's responses? How's, how's that being received? Um, yeah, it's a mix, but I would say that there's a lot of, um, a lot of light bulb moments. Um, you know, people recognizing that the ways that, particularly for organizations that were mostly in person, and those are the ones who are tending to gravitate towards our training. Those like, I mean, there are IT organizations and others who've been, you know, remote global for years, and they've kind of mastered this to some degree. Although I will say, um, you know, I was saying that I was remote before the pandemic, but as the remote person in an organization that was primarily face-to-face, it was sort of um, my problem really to get, make sure that I was included. Like I was the person hanging out on the conference call that everybody has kind of long forgotten about. And I initiated in my organization, putting these VIPs, I call them virtual inclusion principles in place so that I wasn't constantly excluded from the, you know, the meeting that happens after the meeting and all of those things that take place. But now that everybody's had a taste of remote, there's a sensitivity to wanting to be included. So um, as I was saying, in organizations that have been primarily face-to-face, they're like, you know, we haven't made conscious choices for how we're going to replace some of the ways that we showed people we cared and the ways that we recognized or the ways that we celebrated. Um, You know, COVID didn't give us the grace period to be very intentional or strategic. It was like on a dime, grab your stuff, go home, let's make it happen. And some of those things translated well, and some of those things didn't translate well. And we've sometimes been functioning on autopilot. So it's really about taking, you know, what, what we're hearing people say is like, thank you for giving us the space to take a step back and to actually I mean, it sounds like common sense when I say it out loud, but to really question those practices, which ones didn't translate well that we're still doing just because that's the way we've always done it. And it's not working, in fact. And how do we want to consciously redirect that to something that really serves us better? So sometimes that training, and and I'm sure you've seen this as well, is the technical skills and the, you know, the five-step model, that's all great. But sometimes it's granting people the space to actually stop think about it, talk about it in community, leverage the ideas around the room, and then exit with a plan that's just so much better thought out than what they were doing when they walked in the door. When, when you were saying that, I thought about one company that is now paying for a house cleaner to come in to all of their employees once a week. Oh my God, I'm writing that down. Should we just make that standard? I think we, that should be the new norm. If you went from in-person and now you're saving money on leases, then why not just invest that into house clean? I thought it was great. I thought it was a light, light bulb moment right there. This is a great way to show appreciation. Well, that's fabulous. Well, it's funny because at the current moment, um, we no longer have a physical location in Toronto. So I was, um, you know, half of our business has been the in-person training, which we're now bringing back, but it didn't make sense to have you know, prime Toronto real estate with all these training rooms that were sitting there empty. Now, I think the intention is to go back, but for the time being, we're all 100% virtual. 
Yeah, so. very interesting. With one company, they had just built out this whole floor. Fantastic company. Loved working with them. Went out there. The whole floor was empty except for the executives. And now they're all doing it from home. And just executives are coming into this like huge place. And now as we're we're doing some training together, I said, do the training with me the way that you're going to. It's a train the trainer program. Do the training with me the way you are going to do it for others. And you know what they're going to do? virtual, but they got this huge space that we could meet. And I think that's one of the questions that people are asking. How are yeah. you helping people navigate that going back or staying virtual? Are people coming to you about that? Um, they aren't necessarily. Well, I shouldn't say that. I was about to say they don't necessarily come to us for advice on that decision, but that's not necessarily true. There's a couple of organizations that I can think of that have been um, in conversation and looking for support on, you know, what are some best practices in the area. And, you know, I, I think the challenge is just being one step ahead of your client, because we're honestly, we're all figuring this out right. at the same time. And sometimes there are unforeseen things. I can think of one example where um, <laughs> um, the client was talking about the fact that they had this hybrid situation and a few folks got into the to the office and they went into a meeting room and they were going to have this meeting. Um, but then they were trying to set up the technology in a way that the remote people could see them and hear them well. But of course, the IT person was working from home that day. So nobody could get the technology to work properly. So they ended up making the commute back to their offices, rescheduling the meeting and just doing it remotely. So I think one of the big questions people have to ask is, um, you know, what is your definition of an inclusive meeting? If one person is remote, like people are coming up with different rules. If there's one person remote, then, um, you know, everybody's remote. If, um, you know, because oftentimes the more senior folks are, they're more likely to be in the office. And, you know, wh what kind of power dynamic does that set up if you're with, you know, senior leaders and getting more airtime with them, but then there are certain people that are remote. Like there are so many questions coming up. And I think, um, I don't know if there are right answers. There are probably better answers than others, but I think the decision has to be made based on what you're trying to achieve, the native nature of the meeting, what your culture is. Um, you know, there's so many factors at play. So I think it's, it's kind of like the English language where it's I before E, except for after <laughs> C, unless it's not. You know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the rules are not right there. You put them rules and then you break the rules and there's that flexibility that's called on. What are some other challenges that you're seeing in leadership development, especially with this hybrid dynamic? What are you seeing that people are saying that when I want to develop my team members, when I want to take a new manager or high performer and turn them into a manager, what are, what are the things that they need to tackle? Where do they need to go? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things and, um, you know, so much, well, there's so many challenges. I can think of so many. Um, so, well, I'll one of the, them down, and then we can unpack a couple of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, there's like four that are that are percolating. Um, the first one is time. Um, you know, we used to. I'm going to really date myself, but um, have like five day training programs that became like three day training programs, which became yeah. two day training, and we have still have some of those okay, longer. Yeah. <laughs> right. The half day ones, but honest to God, we're getting clients that, you know, still have the 10 learning objectives, but they're like, we have an hour. 
you know, um, to get that done. And of course the temptation as a trainer, right. Is to strip the stuff that takes a lot of time, which is the juicy stuff. It's the application stuff and just be like throwing theory. Well, we know where that goes. Um, time is a big constraint, but I think that's also being exacerbated by the, the, the great resignation, the great reshuffle, because, you know, people are bleeding talent and knowledge. We still hear a lot of people, um, just recently, this was, well, two months ago in a webcast, you know, monitoring the chat, people are like, I'm doing the job of like three people, um, you know, where, and, and if development is positioned as something additional to your day job, then you're in trouble in terms of really getting people to have the, the bandwidth and the mind space. So I think time and just burnout resilience, that's still, that's still very much at play. But then when you overlay the hybrid piece, and you think about how uh, so much of learning is social. And when you're in a physical classroom, um, social etiquette precludes you from being, you know, multitasking and whatever. Sure, you can be daydreaming and I can't control what thoughts you're having if you like mentally leave the room. But what I'm noticing is um, in the training classroom, it's like an accepted norm to be like, Oh yeah. Okay. You, you, you keep talking, Mike. And I'm over here also answering some emails and I might be ordering dinner on HelloFresh or whatever. And it's like, all of this is going on. So I think engaging people's hearts and minds is that much more difficult in a virtual space. Um, and, and then also as this is, you know, has nothing really to do with a hybrid per se, it's always been in existence, but making sure that you're making the connection so that people can go back and apply. And, and, and I'm thinking of a specific organization. A few organizations are doing this now, some of our clients, and it was really brilliant. Um, different organizations call it different things, but you know, having learning cafes, mm -hmm. and this is a way to break down the learning. So um, folks are doing some individual training uh, online on demand, and then they're trying to apply those concepts. So they've done different things, change management, coaching, delegation, whatever the topic is, they try to apply it, but then they come into a learning cafe and the learning cafe is, um, and these sessions have been like selling out, booking out, you sign up for this. There are members of our training organization there to explain any questions about the concept, but there's members of the leadership team, the executive team, and it's all about how does what we've been learning align to your role, align to the organization? Um, having people like, if, if you're the senior leader, Mike, you'd be like, okay, so I remember when I was first, you know, exposed to change management principles, this is where I went wrong. This is where I learned along the way. So we're having this dialogue because I think for people to really apply learning, they have to make it personal, but they have to also feel psychologically safe to try it on because, it's so much of learning requires making some mistakes right. um, or learning as you go. And so being able to leverage the collective wisdom of people at your level going through it, people who've been there before learning together. And then after the learning cafes, then they go back to another lesson and they continue to apply. And it's part of a continuous um, learning, um, which I know those of us in the learning and development um, field have struggled with not wanting learning to be an event, but we still come up against that. And I think if you break it down in this way yeah. and find a way to, you know, and this works really well in a virtual environment, you know, that, and, and you're coming into the training already with so much skin in the game, right? Because you've gone through the lesson, you've tried to apply it, 
you know there's going to be other leaders there to support you. So that's we don't have difficulties keeping people engaged in those sessions, for example, as opposed to something's more theory driven. That was fantastic when you said if development is an addition to your day job, then really it might not happen. It you might never get around to it, and really to to embed it into what you are doing. And I think that learning cafe sounds really interesting. Are those like an hour calls? Is that is that what that looks uh, like? Hour, hour and a half. I mean, different organizations do it differently, but they're, yeah, typically shorter duration, 100%. So it, it's orchestrated by you or your team, that is. And so you have that professional right there who's going to guide the time because we know that a lot of executives and CEOs and such, although they're fantastic at getting some leadership done, they're not always the best at managing the time of a training session. What are you so you <laughs> yes that, yes that's that's what i get to do with them a lot <laughs> and so you have that person who's hosting keeping it on point but then you have the person who's done it and is is sharing and so they're I, I love that i think that's a fantastic model what a cool idea that you guys came up with is that something that you were doing before the pandemic or was that a a pandemic thought leadership you know um i don't think it happened as much pre-pandemic. I'm not going to say it, it never has, but it's definitely a model that we are applying more and more as people are tight on time. They want to make sure they're focused on the highest value add, but also being able to check in in real time with how this is resonating with people. Because a lot of times <laughs> it's kind of like, I just, I've got all these cliches that I just can never remember, but it's the whole concept of, you know, culture eat strategy for breakfast or whatever. I think I got that saying, right. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Now, like one of the challenges when you asked about challenges is like competency versus culture, right? So organizations are saying, you know, we need our people to be more innovative, for example. Um, and so they send them to training and then they think innovation was the issue. But meanwhile, um, they have managers that that direct more than they do ask and listen. Um, there's no tolerance for, for risk taking. So there's all these cultural barriers bless you. And so, um, you know, so by doing it in a collaborative community space, first of all, I mean, it, it communicates so much in terms of the commitment to learning, right? If you make the time, then it means that this really is important, but being able to say, you know, I really, I'm really struggling to see how I can apply some of what we're talking about because here, you know, we work in silos or whatever it is that the, the, the structural or the, the cultural barriers are, um, it's a great way to have an open dialogue, which is not easy to do after the fact. If you're sent, you know, you go to training, you're like, ah, you're riding the high of training. You go back, you think you're going to change the world. And then you hit the wall of reality. Um, if you think about in a, in a marriage relationship, my wife and I will have ongoing call, ongoing conversations. So hopefully any conflict that we're having along the way, we're able to bring up into that, those weekly, those three times a week conversations. So what I found out, and I was a pastor for years, and what I found out is people don't have those. And so they kind of wait till they blow up and then they go to a counselor and then they have the huge conversation and they unpack all of the baggage all at once. But if you're unpacking as you go, it doesn't have to become a big event. So that was the analogy that came to mind when you were just saying that they, they come to these big events and it's all blow up, but then it doesn't really help because you can only... You can only retain so much versus if you're doing these learning cafes and you're doing gradual and you're, you're incrementally developing and you're making it an ongoing part and have 
a chance to to process what they're learning along the way in in a book club or in a learning cafe or whatever else it might be. That's a great analogy. It works really well. Yeah. Talk to me about leadership pipelines. I've always been fascinated by leadership pipelines. I've always, I used to actually, I read that book, Leadership Pipeline, was it like 2001 or something came out? It's going back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The white cover, I think it had red letters or something, doesn't it? Yeah, look at this right here. We'll just we'll just access the bookshelf right here. Boom. Yeah. This is, I think, one of the most fascinating <laughs> uh, books. I, I thought it was really boring, but at the time, it's been a long time since I read it, but I've been fascinated with the concept since. So how do you tell people to, what do you tell people when they need to develop a leadership pipeline? What kind of principles or direction are you giving them? Yeah. And it's funny. Well, in terms of my own organization, we, we, we're not even 20 people. So the concept of a traditional leadership pipeline really doesn't apply much. I will say <clears throat> because we're small, we do wear many hats and we're very good at internal promotion. Um, but, you know, when I think back to some of our, my previous organization where I was more involved in that or with some of our client organizations, um, I think one of the keys is really ensuring that you are defining potential in a way that aligns with your mission and vision, because leadership potential can really vary based on um, the type of culture um, that you need to have in your organization. And then, of course, you need the right tools to measure that potential. I remember back, I'm going to say like at least 15, 20 years ago, sitting in a talent calibration meeting. Have you ever sat in those talent calibration meetings where? No. Oh, <laughs> well, Maybe I have, but it wasn't called that. So now I'm curious. Oh, okay. Well, in the previous organization I was in, like there, um, <clears throat> some of how you're compensated is based on your performance rating, but there's only so much money in the pot. And so they wanted to make sure that ratings were being applied in a fair way. So especially for more senior roles, let's say, okay, we're evaluating Mike. And it's like, well, I want to give Mike, you know, a five out of five, you know, on a, a performance scale. And then other yeah. people have worked, yes, other people who've worked with you will, will be like, well, I think, you know, he's great, but he really needs to develop in this area. And they start debating out some of these performance ratings because they drive, you know, bonuses and, you know, you can't have everybody at the top end because that means that you're not really evaluating. There's, it's almost a little bit, um, archaic in the Jack Welch sort of way. Um, but, you know, all that to say that um, how I might see your potential and how, you know, others might see your potential can vary greatly. So are we aligned on how we're defining performance and potential? Are we aligned on how we're measuring it? Um, and what tools are we using? Because, you know, as we know, through the hiring process and biases and all that kind of stuff, just relying on people to be like, yeah, I think he's a good fit, um, is not the best way to go about it. So um, in my organization, we don't have a proprietary tool that we use for measuring potential. We have partnered with different organizations to, to use tools or recommend tools, but I really think it's important to be using some type of objective measure in, 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 you know, in addition to what various stakeholders have to say about someone's potential. Um, what are you using? What tools are you using from other organizations? Yeah, so um, we've used different ones. And the one that we're using now was just recently, fairly recently renamed. 
Um, and hopefully the name will come to me. But what, while I'm thinking about, <laughs> I got bought out and um, I'm not yeah. trying to think. Um, and, but, and, you know, in the past, like in my previous organization, it was a proprietary tool um, by a, a consulting company. Um, but I think what, what's really important and then the tool that we use now, it allows you to, to customize and to rate um, the levers and say, you know, just how much of a priority certain things are. Because the truth is, although let's take innovation for, for instance, is important, but there's going to be varying levels depending on what area of the organization that you're in. Um, one of the things I think is more important than ever is just the whole piece about emotional intelligence. Yeah. I think that that just continues to become important. And um, the notion of empathy, especially understanding empathy, understanding how to create belonging, inclusion, psychological safety, all of those types of things. Because at the end of the day, no matter what your technical skills are, one of the biggest things that catapults people's development in the area where I've probably had the most impact is um, helping people shift their perception and their mindset, right? Uncovering those limiting beliefs that they hold about themselves that hold them back. Or even when you were talking about the example with you and your wife and having conversations in a previous life, I used to deliver a program called Crucial Conversations. I don't know if oh, you Yeah, I do know that. Yeah. yeah, it's a great program. It's a great program. My current organization has something similar in spirit. It's called Critical Conversations, but regardless of the title, um, so much of catapulting employee development has been understanding the stories that we tell ourselves and how we define ourselves. So, you know, I used to be a 360 feedback coach in my previous organization, and this was primarily for people who went from an individual contributor role to a manager mm -hmm. and, you know, how stuck they would get because so much of their identity, how they derived value, how they uh, were rewarded was based on their own individual contributions and having to make that shift to seeing that their value is now getting work done through others. You know, it's funny, I'm just gonna go on a little spiritual path here, but there's a, there's a book called A Course in Miracles and they say that a miracle is nothing more than a shift in perception. So that, that mindset piece, that shifting people's perception um, is absolutely key. And I've gone way off on a tangent from- no, I think it was totally fascinating. I, I, and perhaps I was even, even more leaning in because I was on my own journey of emotional intelligence, discovering it, empathy, and evaluating some of my own successes, some of my own failures, and went into a deep dive on emotional intelligence. Partly at the behest of a friend of mine, and he really masters this area. So I did my own study to the point where I started developing these ideas because I do so much communication, communication coaching on how emotional intelligence is the bridge between leadership and communication. And so I put together this whole, and I ended up writing a book about it. And this whole paradigm of emotional intelligence is knowing me, knowing you, knowing us. And so there's three parts to the book. And at the very center of the book, at the very center of that one of you is empathy. That if you were to boil all emotional intelligence down, it would be to empathize. The hard part about empathy and emotional intelligence is, or when it comes down to empathy is, it's easy to develop some self-awareness. It's easy to develop some social skills. It's very hard if someone doesn't have an inclination 
to to develop empathy unless they want to. Well, and that's so true of so many things. I mean, one of the key <laughs> models that we we use um, for in our new managers course is just the matrix of like willingness and ability. So yeah. when looking to delegate something to someone. I mean, um, if they have the ability, but they don't have the willingness, I would agree because a lot of, um, I would agree that it's very challenging. A lot of what's required of us in terms of being emotional intelligent, emotionally intelligent and empathetic is a certain level of vulnerability yeah. as well, especially about the knowing self. And I, and I will disclose that um, not all that long ago, I was working on something that um, a project that didn't sort of meet the performance expectations of someone that I was working with. And um, this is going to come across as arrogant, but um, <laughs> I'm going to go for it anyway. I'm not used to getting a lot of critical feedback because I've been in my role for some time, right? So it's one thing if you're doing something new, you might expect to get feedback. But if you've been doing something over and over again, I just had a certain expectation that, okay, I'm going to hit it out of the ballpark. And when I didn't, it was like, <gasps> and I could feel myself really pull back. I could feel myself wanting to blame and, you know, be like, well, so-and-so didn't do some, you know, throw these people under the bus. And I really had to catch myself because I was super triggered. My ego was just going ballistic. Um, and having the willingness to kind of step back and unpack that, like what's going on, what part is mine to take responsibility. Um, that takes something. It's not a comfortable thing. It's much easier to either shut down, shut off, blame somebody else, gossip about it with someone else. And like, those are all parts of it. Like that's just one piece of it, but um, yeah, it's not easy, but it ultimately gets you to so much of a better place. Well, this, is, this has been so much fun going through this. I love the whole hybrid conversation there and just the ongoing development. What, if you were just to grab one more thing to, to, tell us, share with us something that's brewing up inside about leadership development and just to choose one more nugget to say, take this home when you're developing your team. What do you think that would be? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think, um, I think it kind of circles back to the, um, knowing yourself and taking care of yourself. You know, I think one of the things that has remained true since when we first started talking before, as the pandemic hit, was that notion of putting your oxygen mask on first. I know it's very cliche, but it's also very true. Um, you know, if, if I'm not taking care of myself, if I'm not mastering my own mindset, how can I really show up for my people? Because so much of what people learn from us is not just the words that come out of our mouth. It's how we show up, right? It's the energy that we bring. And that's why I was uh, sharing with you just before we officially started recording, just how for myself, I've been spending a lot of time really playing with the power of gratitude. Um, you know, so whatever that is that grounds you, I mean, it has been so impactful for me that, um, you know, I, I had mentioned that I'd, I'd published a, a, a gratitude, authored a gratitude journal for children because I want this to start earlier. I, the inspiration was doing it for my daughter, but you see gratitude and appreciation now words in the corporate arena that you never saw before. You see the word forgiveness coming into the corporate arena. Nobody was talking about that before. So taking a look at yourself as a leader, making sure that you're really clear on um, who you are, what, how you want to be of contribution, and what do you need to do to take care of yourself so that you can shine the brightest light that you can? Because once you're coming from a place of 
appreciation and expansion, I think really all things are possible. And, you know, the technical skills can come, but, you know, take care of self um, first would be probably the biggest thing I would say right now. I love how you wove all that together there with the appreciation, uh, self-awareness, forgiveness, and even sometimes forgiving ourselves for not being able to have the same amount of whatever we had before the pandemic and allowing there to be grace for yourself or grace for others. So well done pulling that all together. Tanya, this has been so fun just talking with you beforehand. Now, thank you so much for sharing your insights, your thoughts. Where can people find the work of your organization? Where can they go? We'll make sure that we put that in the show notes as well. And uh, But let us know here, and then, then you can say your goodbyes to, to the program today. But where, where can people find you? Yeah, so the company that I work for is Canadian Management Center. So the website is cmcoutperform.com. So you can check us out there. You know, we have a lot of free leadership um, development resources. You can see some of the, the webcasts that I've been involved in, some great stuff there. If anyone has a question for me personally, I'm happy to connect. You can find me, Tanya Trevoni, on LinkedIn. Um, would love to hear from anyone. I'd love to build the community. And it's been really great to be here. So thank you so much for inviting me, Mike. It's been great connecting. Absolutely, Tanya. Thank you. And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers. Thank you for checking this episode out. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, pass it on to somebody who can benefit from leadership development. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Masters of Employee Development. Do you know someone who would be a great guest? Send them to mikeacker.com forward slash apply. Do you want the show notes? Go to connect.mikeacker.com. Until next time, subscribe, rate, and give a review on Amazon or iTunes or your favorite platform.